Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Anaconda is over. Still no Mateo. What is this? Anaconda skin. It snakes up there this big? This skin is three or four years old. Whatever shed it has grown since then. Snakes don't eat people. Oh, they don't? That's it, man. I'm getting the hell back to L.A. It's always good to be prepared. Now, they are the ones being watched. Do you hear that? The ones being followed. Nobody move. The ones being hunted. There's something down there. That's right. No, I really mean it. I really mean it too. But not by anything human. If we help him, then he will help us get out of here alive. Get out of the face! You're gonna get us all killed! Yeah! 
Anaconda. When you can't breathe, you can't scream. Andy, once again, we come to the public with an important health advisory. Don't go into the jungle. (laughs) If we've learned anything, rivers are death. Uh, And so where do you think they should go? Where is our, our best source of community outreach for those who need to recognize that if you can't breathe, you can't scream? Those people, since they can't breathe... They can't scream. What they can probably still do is type. So head over to letterbox.com. You can follow the next reel. You can follow all of our shows, read our reviews, comment on all of our different posts, and you can get into the conversation with each of the movies that we're reviewing over there. We have all the movies we've talked about on the show. We have lists of all sorts, and uh, you can also link to the different people who are involved in the shows. And it's a great place to get in touch with those of us who are over there and continue the movie conversation. That's what old John Voight said. That's what old John Voight said is, I wish I could <laughs> type. I, I feel like I heard him saying that as he was going through. The, I, if you turn it's your right subtitles before. on, actually, as he's being swallowed, it's it's like the whisper at the yeah. end of um, the Bill Murray movie that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> when he whispers, if you turn the subtitles on, you can hear, you can just like here, you can, you can hear turn it. on, you can hear John Voight yeah. say that. In the gullet, Cam. Yeah. Ugh. All right, Andy, here we are. We've made it to Anaconda. What's going on with this cast? Once again, <laughs> what a, I know that I'm looking at it with the gift of hindsight, but Eric Stoltz. Man, what are you doing here? <laughs> All right. Now, we're going to have to ease up on the reins there, mister. <laughs> no, and I, you know, and I should, okay, let me say this. Let me say this out loud and uh, up front. I had a blast with this movie. I had a blast with this movie. It is, at times, insufferable. I went into this, I've, I, I had seen it only once before, and I've now seen it twice. And what I remember most from the movie the first time I saw it, was what I like to call the cinematic aquatic killer. It's forgetting to get your reverse shot (laughs) when you're shooting the jungle scenes and a waterfall and just deciding, you know what, let's just run that last clip back. So we have waterfall that goes up in this movie that is uncorrected, and it drives me crazy, crazy every time I see it. Uh, so beyond that, I like a lot about this movie. I think it, it, uh, it is, there's a collision. Uh, it, it is one of those movies that exists in that dark space between great cast, fun idea, terrible CG, and, um, and the fact that the CG does not yet ably line up with the hydraulic animatronic snakes uh in in a way that is not that does not take me out of the experience from time to time and so it's early and when i look at this movie i think you know i could see i i could actually see why there are more snake movies and uh i would like to see even more snake movies (laughs) well so there's a whole series of anaconda movies if you want to jump in there We well, almost talked like about them, more. you may recall. I know, I know. And I, I sort of regret that that we didn't, but only sort of, because this movie does not rate well <laughs> with, for a lot of people. Uh, so there we go. The thing about this is I find, I, I have a, just like you, I have a total blast while watching this movie. Sure, it might seem a little bit like some of this cast is uh, kind of jumping into the slumming it category, I suppose you could say. But also, I feel like that they were just having fun. And honestly, I mean, hey, if you got to go shoot down in Brazil on the Amazon, why not (laughs) jump at the chance and go do something like that? And so I think that they're largely doing it because they're having fun. This movie, I don't think, is ever really taking itself too seriously. And I feel like they're, in the vein of Piranha, having fun with the material that they're they're exploring. And even when the CG um, just looks terrible, and let's face it, it always looks terrible. The CG yeah, never, there's no, there's never no looks place good where it's fine in this film. Um, it's it's just a fun B creature feature. You're watching this snake running around, or slithering around, or swimming around, and killing people in 
and around the Amazon as they are exploring to try finding this uh, this lost tribe. It's, the Shumi tribe. Yeah. The secret of the people of the waterfall mist. The, yeah, the mist you know, the people of the, the mist or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just kind of silly, bad movie, but it fits in there with those other creature features, and I have a blast watching it. And I feel like everybody involved knew that. I don't think anyone is taking themselves too seriously, especially John Voight. And I feel like they're <laughs> allowing it to be what it is. And because of that, I appreciate it. And I have a great old time. Well, and so here's why I want to talk about Eric Stoltz. I feel like this movie and Eric Stoltz in it is a metaphor for our modern government media landscape. You take the only doctor, the only scientist out of it, and suddenly all of it goes to hell. <laughs> right? This is a metaphor for listen to the scientists. And and so um, it, protect your scientists. That's what this movie is all about. Eric Stoltz is in this movie in the beginning, and he gets to flex a little bit when Paul Cerrone shows up on the boat telegraphing wildly his menace. Um and then he's gone, and he's gone for most of the movie, and uh, I that makes me sad because I I think that was a that's a poor use of Eric Stoltz. I don't understand why they. I'm well, okay. I'm sure practically it has something to do with stunt casting, and we'll just put him in there, and then we he won't have to bother showing up because he's probably a busy guy at that point, and um yeah, and let's not worry about it. That bugged me. Um, I I think it was it was poor casting, and it made me constantly think about. Why am I not seeing more Eric Stoltz in this movie? <laughs> right? Well, I'll be honest. It, he probably was just enjoying the beaches of Brazil in between his first part of shooting and his last part of shooting. Yeah. And probably just had a great time just just chilling and touring around and having a grand old time. Honestly, I really don't know. It's in a period of his career where he still is largely appearing in a lot of indie films. He was working a lot with uh, Noah Baumbach at yeah. the time. And then it was also popping up in as, as bit parts in things like Jerry Maguire. So, you know, he was uh, he wasn't as big, I suppose, as he was in the 80s into the 80s. early 90s. Yeah. And I think it's it's a point in his career where he certainly is in things still. But I find after, gosh, I don't know, I, I feel like even before he was in Pulp Fiction, he'd kind of faded a little bit. So I don't know. I, I feel like right in the, the early 90s, Pulp Fiction may be kind of the last thing where he was like a somebody that really stood out as an, a name. And then after this, I feel like it was just a lot of bit parts and he's still popping up in in indie movies, but largely just uh, in a smaller capacity. And so I feel like him popping up in here fits kind of with that. It does feel kind of stunt casting. It would probably fit in just enough so that he could go off and do some indie films that probably paid him a lot, lot less. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Um, he, you know, he's got a really weirdly rich career all the way up to, you know, uh, Madam Secretary over the last bunch of years. He was he had a recurring role there. Um, I, I really like I really like him uh, for some reason. And I think it was maybe because, you know, some kind of wonderful like that. That was I, I am peak Eric Stoltz fan. Right. This is yeah. like. Eric Stoltz, John Cusack, like those were my aspirational sort of um, childhood guys. And and so I really like whenever I see him show up, he, he has a great affinity for me on, on screen or I have a great affinity for him on screen. So uh, like Eric Stoltz. Are you the guy who wishes that he had been Marty McFly? Is that you? Do you know, it is not because I've seen that test footage and it's he plays Marty McFly dark. That's not the movie. That's like effectively, you know what? Let's just let's just let Cronenberg direct it. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so that's my thing with Eric Stoltz. Everybody else in this film, you talk about John Voight. Uh, John Voight, what a guy. Like, he, the moment he throws his bag onto their boat for their big rescue, <laughs> you know exactly who he is and what he's doing. Like, he so overplays this role in a delightfully diabolical way. It makes everybody else look so stupid that they didn't see his turn coming because. We saw it when he's still waving distantly and blurry in the rain. He telegraphs so hard. 
He does. But also, it just works. It's the sort of thing that I think works really well in a film like this, is that you have somebody who's just... I mean, they're they're obviously suspect of him from the beginning. It's just, you know, they should have been even more suspect because he's just, he's really up to no good and it should be pretty clear. And it's, but it's, oh, he is just delicious. He's clearly having a blast. He always kind of has this smile on his face regardless of his mood. And that always just, it, it just makes him feel that much more sinister when he's disagreeing with somebody or he's, you know, going in with whatever uh, Eric Stoltz's character has said that they have to do. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. But he still has that smile. And you know that uh, just, it, you know that he's up to no good. And, um, it's uh, I, I just I find him just a, a very incredible asset to the film. And the fact that his last moment is as a <laughs> regurgitated somewhat corpse, possibly not, who winks at uh, Jennifer Lopez's character. I just think that that is like for me, the highlight of the movie. I just I couldn't get any better than that. That is so awful. It's so awful it, that it was immediately preceded by the the gullet cam, which we have yet to talk about. I think we should, because one of the one of the great things about all of these movies is the killer cam, right? It's the killer POV. Yeah, that, you're right. And and this movie, uh, like I I already liked this movie because I love that they play with the axes of the snake's head in the killer cam. It's not just sure. moving straight forward. This snake actually tilts the camera side to side, so you're moving on that. Uh, the X axis, Y axis, what's the one across? X, Y is up and down, X is across. You're moving side to side up and down that Y axis. And I think that's really, uh, that makes it a lot of fun to to watch that. And then peak killer POV is from inside the snake's throat as it takes John Voight into itself. It is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. So it is the best. It really just, it works so well. It just, it's, it puts things into such kind of an over-the-top, campy, just a position for this film to be coming from, that by the time you get there, you're like, oh yeah, of course we're doing this. Of yeah. course we're going to jump into this camera position that's all the way up the back of the snake as it opens up to swallow John Voight's character whole. It is this. It's the strongest snake effect in the entire movie. Is inside the snake. Well, that very well may be true. Honestly, I don't mind the puppetry. I think the animatronic yeah. puppetry works pretty well. The way that its head kind of turns and comes at you, or opens up, and you kind of see just I don't know the opening of the snake mouth. It looks kind of like a snake mouth, like you see all the little uh, you know parts inside right. its mouth and the way that it works and everything. I think that that actually is is pretty effective. It's just when it goes CG, it turns into complete garbage. It is just so bad. It's one of those, it, it's so bad, it makes me, that's the thing that makes me want to see, and I know we're going to talk about sequels and remakes, I, it, the, it makes me want to see the, the purported reboot of this thing with today, technology of today. Like, I would actually love to see what they do with a snake this size, and what fun yeah. they could have with yeah. a snake this size in the jungle. Speaking of snakes this size, I did find it interesting, because I've been trying to read up on these animals just a little bit each time to see... You know, how accurate are they? Because as you may recall, this film starts with uh, some, you know, several paragraphs of expositional text that are designed to set us up in the story so we have an understanding ahead of time without having to waste time with characters talking about it as far as what these snakes are, how big they get, uh, just kind of the way they work. And it actually goes so far as to saying, here, let me just read a couple bits here. Anacondas are among the most ferocious and enormous creatures on Earth, growing in certain cases as long as 40 feet. Unique among snakes, they are not satisfied after eating a victim. They will regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. <laughs> they really set it up to sound like a horrifying creature. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as it turns out, they're the longest 
uh, recorded anaconda has been a female that was 5.21 meters or 17.1 feet long and weighed uh, 97.5 kilograms or 215 pounds. A lot smaller than what the movie claims, you know, as long as 40 feet. In fact, there is still currently a reward of $50,000 that's open to anyone who can catch an anaconda that's actually longer than 30 feet or 9.1 meters. People think that they are out there, but again, it's never been recorded. It's just one of those, you know, myths of I caught a fish this big. It's that whole thing. They it, they only appear in South America, which is definitely something to remember when you get to Anaconda Two, <laughs> because they are no longer in South America. Um, although that movie did get the 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 mating balls accurate, they actually when they're mating, a bunch of males pile onto a female and then they just coil into a ball that they'll stay in for like up to several weeks while they're all trying to mate with her, uh, <laughs> like a horrific wow. image, right? Yeah, one of those. What was that, Elliot? What was that Elliot Gould movie? Frank and Ted and Alice. It's kind of like that. Bob, Bob and Carol. Bob and, Ted and, and Carol. Alice. Ted and yeah. Alice. <laughs> that was. Right. They got it right in that movie too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but the last bit about being regurgitating their prey in order to kill and eat again, I couldn't find anything about anacondas doing this. So I feel like they just were playing around with some facts, you know, Fargo style to give us information just to make us feel like these things are even more threatening than they really are. Yeah. In, in this cinema, in the anaconda cinema, cinematic universe, they do these things. Right. Exactly. Which is fine. Exactly. Although I have to say in my research, let me tell you about my little rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, which is not if you're the rabbit, you don't want anything to do with this. So <laughs> it turns out that the uh, the anaconda, what they may have been modeling this uh, on is a prehistoric uh, snake called the and this is possibly it's definitely my favorite word of today, if not of all. <laughs> The discussion of snakes. It is the Titanoboa. That sounds like a movie that would follow along with the uh, <laughs> all the other Roger Corman <laughs> creature features that he's done. Yes, yeah. yes. They actually managed to find uh, um, a researcher at University of Toronto managed to find the largest fossil that has ever emerged out in Colombia uh, in the. Uh, Serijon coal mine, which is one of the world's largest open pit coal mines and a uh, just a, a parade of prehistoric reptile fossils. They found a bunch of stuff there and they actually found this um, uh, a Titanoboa uh, segment. Right. And because they now know that all snakes have the same number of segments overall, they can actually place based on relative sizing. And, you know, thanks to the world of computers. Uh, they can actually place where that segment would have been in this snake, and they can then extrapolate to how big and how heavy the snake was. That's the snake they're describing here. It is a natural phenomenon, and it happened to be a natural phenomenon uh, many, 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 many thousands of years as a, years as years as ago. Thank you, Gollum. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> it wants it. It wants to regurgitate <laughs> it. Yes, it does. Uh, so. I found that fascinating. And I, apparently you can go to the Smithsonian and see a life-size model of a Titanoboa devouring a crocodilian. Which is actually the story of Anaconda versus Lake Placid. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Where do these ideas come from? Hmm. So, interesting, right? I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love these things. Uh, so more than likely, that is what we're, uh, what our intrepid documentarians are up against. It happens to be a prehistoric uh, version of this. And, you know, I mean, that's the nature of these movies, right? I mean, that's yeah. what Jaws does. That's what, I mean, Piranha did to a certain extent by, you know, yeah. just they were modified by the government in tentacles. It was larger than it should have been because it came from some deep cave brought up by this under underwater uh, drilling, et cetera, et cetera. And so yet again, we have a creature that is a lot larger than it should be. Uh, of course, according to the text, this is about how big they usually get. So, Well, here's the, this is the most important thing that I feel like I just need to make note of because of our series, our series, we're, we're trying to focus on snakes that exist. And I think snakes that exist slash existed is still fair. This is a snake that was not 
played with by humans. It was True. not radioactive. It was not a lab experiment. It, it was modeled after a real snake. At some point, they got something right. So in terms of this big anaconda, and let's just assume it's this kind of Titanoboa size, where do you rank this paired with this versus kind of the piranha versus the octopus? What are you at this point most afraid of? Oh, um, I still think, uh, so here's, I, I still think ultimately piranha. So I'll, I'll end with that because of that swarm behavior. Mm, okay. Um, and but but the snake thing, anacondas have always given me pause because of the way they crush your bones, right? Mm-hmm. They and and the whole the tagline of this movie nails it, right? When you can't breathe, you can't scream. So that they squeeze, and every time you breathe out, you they squeeze tighter so that you can't get you can't inhale anymore, and that's eventually they crush you, and that is. That does give me uh, anxiety a little bit. I don't like it. I don't care for just imagining it. I still think piranha uh, are are ahead. And, and who do you think you who do you think would win a swarm uh, of school of hungry, bloodthirsty piranha or the giant snake? I mean, that's a. I, I think that it would fall to the piranha because if that snake's in the water and the piranha start kind of uh, attacking it it can it would just i would assume just swim to get away because like i kind of talked about in our piranha episode it's it's like attacking it's same thing like in the star trek beyond um mm-hmm. the film the snake can attack a fish but it's going to bite one fish and then it'll have to go after another and then another meanwhile you know dozens or hundreds of others are are nibbling away at its flesh and yeah. so i don't i don't think that the snake is going to have a chance if it can't get out of the water if it can't get out of the water that being said yeah. personally i think i may be more afraid of the snake uh i feel like the piranha at least there i feel like i have a fighting chance like if i happen to be in the water at least i know i can try to swim to the shore and get out mm-hmm. right if that snake starts wrapping itself around me i know i'm i'm pretty much screwed and after watching this movie and seeing it doesn't just like squeeze you until you uh, suffocate it also squeezes so hard it crushes your bones <laughs> yeah right right and pops you. it pops your head yeah it, it's uh, pretty gnarly so i i personally would say the snake well and and the other thing that get, that make that sort of resets is that uh i did watch an episode of river monsters mm, okay in which our uh, the the host of that show ended up uh, actually putting bloody meat in a pool in a uh, hot tub filled with red bellied hungry red bellied piranha and blood and they went crazy for that and then as they are swimming around in this cloud of bloody water he puts on his bathing suit and gets in it oh no and, no 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 yeah. no 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 stop <laughs> yeah no he does Jeez. that but this is the thing Andy they do nothing to him. Wow. They do nothing. Nothing at all. They're just fish. They just are fish. Yeah. Because he and he, he acknowledges, he says, no, I don't know. I'm not going to cut myself and yeah, get in here. Sure. Like, I don't necessarily want them to do that. But also, it was it was very clear that that it's the it's it's the wound that kills you. Sure. Sure. So anyway, that's just uh, I, what a, I mean, you know, the things people I do know. for TV and for ratings. Like, even if there's a chance it's going to bite, I'm not going to take it. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Okay. So I'm I'm with you on the opening expositional text. I think that was, you know, I'm watching this and I I had forgotten the regurgitation and that text as the foreshadow. They will regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. (laughs) Oh, that is the most perfect setup uh, for that effect at the end. It works really well. And actually, it also, I think, makes the snake more effective because mm-hmm. I think if people know much about snakes, it's that like once they feed or, or like eat something, one, they can hardly move because now they have whatever size animal it was in their body, which kind mm-hmm. of weighs them down. And it just it's they're so swollen that they just kind of lay there on the ground while their body slowly digests it. It takes a long time to digest that sort of stuff. 
And so by allowing it to have this regurgitation tool in the film, it allows it to attack, kill somebody, and then say, you know what, I want to keep attacking and killing more people. I'm going to spit this thing out and I'm going to go after you and and just keep going. And that makes it much more threatening. So I actually think it amplifies the threat in a way that you wouldn't necessarily get in a movie with a giant snake that's going to kill somebody then go off to digest for like four days. Yeah, right. And and I think that's why there are, it, it allows the movie to have these like highlight CG scenes. Like, for example, after the snake eats and is swimming and we have that that camera pass where you see the the skin tightened shape of the of Mateo <laughs> of Owen Wilson, yeah, or, or of Owen, Owen Wilson, Wilson. That's right. right, yeah, yeah. Owen Wilson in the belly, and now you kind of get a sense. Now, I don't necessarily believe that that snake would be swimming quite as quite as uh, you know yeah. agilely through the water uh, as it is with that person in it. But I also now you know have this sense that it would have maybe vomited it up to go attack the boat again. Yeah, right. So. It's all fine. It's fine. It's all we're all fine here. I do like that, you know, they're acknowledging, I think, the genre. One, we we should say it's not just a Jaws ripoff. I think no. generally ripoffs are gonna happen within the first couple of years after a film comes out. And here we are, nineteen ninety seven, well after seventy five. So I think it's safe to say that they're not ripping it off anymore. Um, but I do love that they're acknowledging the kind of just the the world that they're living in, that Eric Stoltz early on has a joke about uh, about piranha in the water. And I, I just thought that was kind of a funny little nod to their uh, their predecessors. I do, too. Yeah, this is a straight up monster, like um, nat- man versus nature monster movie. Right. I mean, it's not uh, I I and I. I know that there are tropes. I know we, you know, I don't have a, a specific trope corner uh, planned. I know there are tropes in here, but I also like. I feel like they're horror movie tropes, like monster movie tropes, um, and and not necessarily rip off tropes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, of course, there are tropes that we're running into here. Well, I mean, just in characterization alone, we've we've got a bevy of them yeah i mean obviously you've got the the villain who is <laughs> completely over the top evil yeah. and uh, that's that's i think um one rule right there and uh you know then i i think that just the nature of kind of the the uh the killer pov cam I mean, that's a trope we're falling into. Um, the, you know, just I mean, a lot of the sort of stuff that happens in yeah. these sorts of movies, the way that people get picked off, et cetera, et cetera. But much more forgivable because it's not a, a ripoff of, you know, something quite so prox- proximate to, to Jaws. Um, one thing that I do think is another example of tropes is uh, we have a couple who decide to walk off into the jungle in the darkness <laughs> to have some nookie. <laughs> Only to have a moment where they get uh, chased down by a mystery uh, creature, which might be the killer. It might not be. We don't know. Only to be saved by as they, you know, it's a trope in and of itself. Going off into the dark is totally a a horror movie trope, right? And that's how people get killed. But then you have them as they're fleeing. They stop at something that also surprises them only to have the camera cut to reveal that it's it's one of the quote good guys who is there to help them and in this case it's uh Cerone who's got his gun and he's ready to shoot what it is which happens to be a big wild boar if the boar could swim it would be an aquatic killer <laughs> because i saw i saw and read hannibal and let me tell you those things those yeah. pigs are tough they eat like tin cans man you don't want to mess with you no. don't want to mess with those things. Absolutely, they're not. land piranhas. Actually, I think is is the name for them. If you get a lot of them together, they're just land piranhas. A swarm of, of <laughs> land piranha, just wild. Yeah, pig. you know, I live in a place with a lot of uh, javelina, which is similar. And that's effective. You don't want to be out yeah. walking your dog and, and come across a, a any a pack of javelina because they they will attack they can attack for sure so, really yeah. have you ever have you ever run into javelina like on the street not in my a neighborhood gang? but I, I you know we know somebody who uh has had that happen and had to take their dog to the vet because the javelina attacked it and, and gored it really yeah oh that's horrible it I shouldn't horrible. be smiling yeah. it's terrible it is terrible <laughs> you live in a weird place. i know it's <laughs> terrible just okay terrible. So what is that thing on the ground after the anaconda kills the jaguar? Jaguar? What was that? 
it, it's like, okay, so you have the Black Panther or the Jaguar in the yeah. forest there. Um, and I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of a fun scene because that is one of the kind of the top, like apex predators in the, in the forest, I, you, I would argue. Yeah. And then to have that kind of attacked by the anaconda and crushed and eaten it's a, it's pretty horrific to kind of see it works effectively though but yeah then there's like some red thing on the ground and i was like what are what is it's that the jack it's the jaguar's eyeball oh i didn't see it pop out okay it po- oh it popped out wow i totally right out totally missed that yeah that's it's funny. not that's gross. it's awful it's yeah. so gross and especially because i don't know what happened to their jaguar like um animatronic their jaguar puppet um, but there is, if you freeze frame and like walk through this scene, there is a scene, <laughs> there's a sequence that I swear to God is a jaguar going, ah, like its eyes open and its mouth opens and its tongue kind of hangs out. <laughs> Zoinks is the jag, what the jaguar is saying. And, uh, and then it gets squeezed and its eyeball comes out. Yeah. Yep. It is so awful. <laughs> uh, okay. Can I, I I feel like we do we should go through some tropes. We've been doing them, and I I just got a few that I I had marked right. down that I want to run through. Okay, um, we have our uh, toward the beginning Danny Trejo, who he's never he doesn't really get a chance to speak. He's just this poacher at the beginning, and he's got a boat full of animals. And he's cornered by this anaconda, although we never see it. It's all just kind of the POV as it's coming. And it's, I think it's a, a, a bit of a trope that whole better to kill, better to die than be killed by some, uh, more potentially torturous and painful way. And so he kills himself there up on the mast. Totally relate. Yep. Absolutely relate. I would have done the yep. same. <laughs> Let's see. Yep. Do that or be crushed and swallowed and slowly yep. digested. Hmm. Yep. Um, let's see. We've got the um, uh, a subversion of the uh, the token black guy getting killed off first, right? Right. We actually have Danny. He's actually one of our survivors, which is nice to see. Right. Paired with him, we have the stuffy British person, which I think is is possibly the the tropiest of tropey characters that we have here. <laughs> he's he's over the top. I mean, he's basically is snidely whiplash and just needs to be a little more villainous, and he can be snidely twirling. I wonder mustache. what uh, David Attenborough would say to you about that, because that's really who he's trying to be, right? This whole like film crew. It's this is a BBC uh, documentary. It's, it's yeah, it's Nat Geo, right? I believe, right? It is Nat Geo, but I'm just saying, like this is uh, this is what he's been known for for like 35 years, sure. And they, I mean, they lampoon him in this movie, which I think is uh, oh, yeah. pretty good. It's pretty fun. Yeah, we have the uh, the villain who is always happy to backstab his own partners. We we see that Cerrone um, certainly does that with Matteo, and right. we don't know if uh, he he set up uh, Danny Trejo's character, but certainly there was something that had gone on between the two of them, right? Right, and and it's um, I I think it was like my sense is they were all poachers and they just lost control. I yeah. I. Felt like, especially because we saw that picture in the newspaper right. in the boat, like it feels like he was, it was he and Mateo kind of keeping the keeping the thing going. Well, I think it was he and Danny Trejo were because Mateo was back. Like it was, almost seemed like Mateo had quit or something and was now just working as a boatman for people yeah. or yeah. something. Okay, and and then I yeah I don't know. Then it seemed like the Anaconda took Danny Trejo, and uh, and he was left. But he certainly is totally fine kind of stabbing Mateo in the back and then basically yeah. leaving him there to be taken, right? Right, right. That's definitely uh, kind of a, a very tropey thing for your bad guy. Just so you know, he's extra bad. Yeah, he's super bad. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, yeah. then I think that's, I mean, that's basically what I had written down as far as, I could probably come up with some others, but that's... Uh, bad guys have yeah. great accents. I mean, this is the long <sighs> history yeah. of Hans Gruber and uh, what's his name from Lethal Weapon 3 and... Uh, uh, and now John Voight here as the Paraguayan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just over the top. It's over the top, and you know, I just find that it works really well. And maybe it's just because it's John Voight. <laughs> I just totally buy into everything that he's doing. 
Well, interestingly, what about Jennifer Lopez? Like, we haven't even, that's the first time I think we've said her name. And she yeah, is we the, the sort of central figure around right. which all of this spins. Right. Uh, what do you think of J-Lo in this movie? I think she's fine. You know, this was early in her film career. She hadn't quite kicked in uh, a whole lot yet. I think that, um, what was the, it was Selena, right? That was the one mm-hmm. that really kind of allowed her to, uh, to kind of... Um, get kind of make that name for herself a little more and which is a great film um but i mean she had been in other things um like she was in my family me familia which is really good she was in money train and um and selena was like right before this they both came out at the same time and u-turn later this year which is a fantastic oliver stone movie and so it was this i feel like this was the year where she really started kind of popping as a lead because the very next year she's in out of sight and i mean yeah just kind of goes from there so i feel like this was just kind of peak jennifer lopez as leading lady material and i i feel like she handles it really well i i I have no issues with her. I feel like she's great in this uh, action heroine role. I think she does a great job here. Well, and, and you know, she's so strong, right? Physically, she's so strong. She looks great in the jungle when she's pulling on ropes and carrying that gun. And uh, they have a lot of great Jennifer Lopez, like, hero shots with with her just sort of showing off her arms and how much, like, tone work she had done to to do this yeah. movie. I think she just looks great. She looks, she's strong. She's not wealthy at all. Like, even though they dance around this relationship with Eric Stoltz, to the benefit, to the credit of the script, um, you know, they could have made this schmaltzy thing, you know, allowing Eric Stoltz to stick around and be the hero to her yeah. simpering heroine. And uh, they didn't do that, right? I mean, they get, get him out of the way, so she has to, uh, she has to take more room to, to, own the entire situation and i think she does as a director like she's in the uh, this film project um i I think she has a nice handle on it right i she's competent she exudes competence absolutely which is which is something that's unique to maybe to these these films now could you see jillian anderson or juliana margali playing the role because they were the first choices uh, to play the part. It was uh, Terry Porter was the character's original name. Um, they both couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts with their TV shows that they were each in before uh, J-Lo signed on. But can you picture them in it? Or do you feel like as you watch this, oh, I can only see J-Lo in it now? I don't think this is one of those movies that is where where J-Lo is inseparable from the title. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can yeah. see both of those, char- or those uh, actors in the in the piece, maybe Gillian Anderson more than Juliana Margulie, I, I uh, who I think very highly of. I think they're both fantastic, but uh, but I I think they could they could jump in here and and play a strong National Geographic director. Yeah, this this is not one of those pivotal roles, and and you know you take this as an example of one of those like you know it's a it's a puzzle you can put different pieces in compared to Out of Sight. I cannot see anyone else playing that role. Sure, in yeah. Out of Sight than yeah. J-Lo. I agree. J-Lo really feels like she is the part. Um, yeah. Now, how about Jean Reno and as uh, Cerrone, uh, John instead of John Voight? Because he was the person originally considered for that role. Yeah, I struggle with that one because I do like John Voight, but I really like John Reno in these kinds of roles. Uh, and I think he would have been so fun to see in this movie. I think he would have been fun. Obviously, he would have been coming in as a Frenchman instead of a Paraguayan, I suppose. But, boy, I tell you, what John Voight ended up bringing to the table, I I mean, as much as I love Reno, I just feel like I'd hate to see anyone else other than Voight do it, because I think Voight is just, he's over the top and clearly just having a great time. Yeah, I, I agree. Although, I, and maybe I am I have more of an affinity for Renault in this kind of, of character after Defy Bloods, right? Like, it's I, I like seeing him as a crime lord. I think it would have been fun to see him <laughs> as like a street level, like poaching villain. Yeah. Uh, I think that could have been really fun. I feel like, uh, weirdly, I feel like he's typecast for that. You know, I feel like that's popped yeah, up a number of times in his career, which yeah. is kind of funny. No, and then so Ice Cube, we haven't really mentioned too much, but he plays Danny in this film, and I will say it's great to see that our white guy gets kind of knocked out for the duration of the film, and we end up with uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube as our two who have to kind of not only defeat uh, uh, Voight as a problem, who's uh, kind of 
coming after them and trying to basically sacrifice them, them to the the anaconda or use them as bait by covering them in monkey blood. Um, but they have to stop him and then the anaconda. I think it is uh, really fun to kind of see that play out like that. Yeah, the movie is wonderfully diverse, sort of narratively uh, woke. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of funny, too, that they're they're both fighting a snake. Like, uh, you know... I don't know. I have this whole sort of Eden vibe. Like it's it's like um, <laughs> you know Adam and Eve and the snake. And in this case, they're like, oh yes, the Latina and the black guy are going to have to fight the ultimate like white person horror horror reptile. You know, like just <laughs> just really great. Uh, so I have a lot of fun with that. And I and you know Ice Cube is you know he's he might be our most talked about actor. For 2020, I feel like he may be after having covered him in all of the Friday films, which is is. very fun. Yeah. Plus this. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Hyde is our is Warren, the pompous British uh, uh, host of the show. Owen Wilson, we already said. Carrie Wurr is uh, is the production manager. And Vincent Castellanos is Mateo. And then, of course, Pete. Frank Welker. (laughs) Wow. my god is that amazing it's so funny that you i think last week we were talking about piranha and we're like oh we have to pay attention to the noises that they use for the animals as to like what is it what are they going to add to it to kind of uh, amp it up a little bit and it's frank uh, welker in my head i was like (laughs) i don't think they do anything for this other than just hissing boy was i wrong yeah they bring in frank welker one of the most uh, famous voice actors out there for cartoons and all sorts of strange little animal noises like this and here he is giving us the noises the screams all the other things that the anaconda makes it was so good to see his name in there Uh, you know we haven't mentioned we haven't uh, mentioned our our fair director yeah luis yosa is is the director he's a, a peruvian filmmaker who uh you know i think most of the stuff he started out doing stuff that was very roger corman Ask. In fact, I think he jumped in after coming to America into Corman's films. And uh, he did like Hour of the Assassin, Crime Zone, and then he did Sniper, another Amazon film called 800 Leagues Down the Amazon, and uh, then Fire on the Amazon, and then leading into The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone, James Woods, Eric Roberts, and then this, and then The Feast of the Goat. And then from what I can tell... He has not really done much else. I think he may have gone back to Peru and now is doing some telenovelas. Yeah, ton of production credits on yeah. on these things. I mean, these shows that are hundreds of episodes, over a yeah. hundred episodes on like everything that he's done since yeah, two thousand four. Like daily soaps, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So he is uh, he's a producer on a lot of of these things. So I, you know, he has a sense of of jungle horror. I, you know, I think so. And if you look at his filmography, clearly Roger Corman tapped into that. And yeah. I think that he just, I think it worked well for what he was doing here. I, I don't, I mean, his film career in and of itself is pretty small, but I think he made enough of a mark to get this film noticed and, uh, you know, kind of continue his career doing other things. But Andy, the, the upward waterfall, I mean, come on. <laughs> I can't believe I get to rant about that, and you have said nothing. I mean, it's it, it is a terrible bit of editing that they did, and I, you know who knows? They just needed to they needed to have the shot going one way, and they were hoping that nobody would notice that. And it was before the day of digital replacements, because I guarantee, give it you know twenty more years, if that had been a film getting made any time now, they would very easily have have fixed that in post, been able to kind of keep everything else in the shot going the way they wanted, and then fix the waterfall, and it wouldn't have been an issue. I, I just feel like it's one of those things where they probably were hoping people would notice, but it's a, it's, it's a noticeable thing. It's really a noticeable thing, yeah. It's really too bad. It's a noticeable thing, and they should, uh, and really, when you watch it, uh, you get rid of that shot. You just get rid of the shot. The transition yeah. between time and place happens automatically in your head, and you don't need the shot. You don't need to show the boat backing up. It is a. It's one of those things that's so easily fixable, and it just hurts my heart that they didn't. That that they made the choice to let that go. Yeah, ah, so frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating little bit of uh, production, and it's just, it's one of those things that I I feel like this film has gone down 
uh, as the film with the uh, you know the waterfall that goes up. You know, it's yep. it's, it's like those uh, stops along the highway. You know, see the largest ball of twine. Yeah. You know, see the waterfall that goes up. Like that's that yeah. points to this film. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly what it does. Uh, Bill Butler behind the camera again. I think the camera work in this thing was was solid. I I felt like there were there were enough nice little tricks uh, around in and around the snake cam the kill pov the that i think it's uh it, it allows the camera work to kind of be a standout bit of performance bill butler is uh 99 years old yeah and he was born in cripple creek colorado pete hey look at neighborhood that. he was still he's still shooting at 2016 uh, that's Boys what at i was bar. about to say it's like he what is he still doing i mean take a yeah. break Enjoy it. But I mean, the last thing that I saw that he had done probably was Frailty, which was a film I really enjoyed. Um, But wow, I mean, just going back through the work that he did in the... in the seventies, you know, working with well, let's just talk about his top four, shall we? Right, sure. I mean, Deliverance, yeah, right? Grease, Anaconda, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest. Very strong, very strong. Yeah. So I mean, he's stuff. somebody who's been around a long time. And Jaws. I mean, we talked about him when we did Jaws, and he did the conversation, and he did what was the uh, Rocky Two? I think we mentioned him on Rocky Two, yep. Rocky Three, Rocky Four. Uh, those Rocky films. So somebody who has been around. Music, Randy Edelman. What do you think of of Randy's score here? Anything stand out to you? As it's fun, it doesn't like it didn't strike me as one that I wanted to uh, start listening to all the time. But I think in context of the film, it works well. It's just fun. It fits the genre. I don't think that it's too special, but it works just fine for what it is. He's a, a I think a great composer, orchestrator, uh, and he's yeah. been on a lot of fantastic. Fantastic projects. Uh, this this one, it it to me, it feels like some good generic uh, jungle horror stuff. Uh, there was there are no themes in here that I walked away singing. No, but it feels appropriate. Like it's got kind of that jungly sort of sound totally. to it. You know, kind of the tribal drums, etc. Yep. It works. It works. Very, I mean, some is. of our native wushimushi tribal. Um, <laughs> never mind. The shimi 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 shama shimi shama shimi shama shimi shama. Yeah, wushimushi. <laughs> Uh, how do we do in sequels? I mean, there. What what counts as a sequel on this thing? It's like a family tree. <laughs> this is like the seed at the base of a family tree. I did watch the second film because it was one that did get a theatrical release. This is the and Blood so Orchid, curious, right? Hunt of the Anaconda is the Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Yeah. I did watch that one, and you know, it was fun. It it works well. It's not great, but I think in context of kind of these sorts of horror films, it's fine. It is fine <laughs> does okay the biggest sin it has is that it takes place in borneo where there are no anacondas so i don't know what's going on there but hey whatever it still works so anacondas the hunt for the blood orchid was the second uh, film in the list of sequels here but in our whole film series then it spins off into anaconda 3 offspring anaconda's trail of blood and then we get into the crossover, which is Lake Placid versus Anaconda. So that was Anaconda so, 5. What is yeah. it for Lake Placid? That is the uh, fifth film in the Lake Placid film series. So it's series. five and There's five. A, that was their Yeah, number but five Lake crossover. Placid has one more. Lake okay. Placid ends up having Lake Placid legacy. So between the two, there would be a total of 10 films. Fascinating. Okay. Oh, and yeah. I didn't mention this, but they have been talking about uh, rebooting this, as you kind of mentioned. Just earlier this year, in fact, Sony said that they were actually starting to develop this with uh, screenwriter Evan Doherty, who was hired to write a reboot for this uh, for this film. So who knows what the status of that is anymore in these COVID days, but it is possible we may see more Anacondas theatrically at some point in the future. I'll take it uh let, how to do it award season big award movie well surprisingly <laughs> surprisingly it does have nominations six wins and 11 other nominations over the academy of science fiction fantasy and horror the saturn awards it was nominated for best horror film and best actress it lost in both categories the horror film that won was the devil's advocate which i would agree with and the best actress was jodie foster in contact and i would certainly agree with that over at the Razzies, this is where it won its awards, Pete. 
Uh, or actually, I shouldn't say that. It actually lost all of the awards at the Razzies. Um, but it was nominated for six awards at the Razzies. Worst picture, but lost to The Postman. Worst actor, John Voight, but lost to Kevin Costner in The Poster. Or The Postman. <laughs> the worst screen couple. I love this. John Voight and the animatronic Anaconda. <laughs> But lost to Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman in Double Team. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Worst, worst, yeah, worst director lost to Kevin Costner in The Postman. Worst screenplay lost to The Postman. And the worst new star was uh, the animatronic Anaconda was nominated, but lost to Dennis Rodman, also in Double Team. Huh. Over at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, uh, John Voight, however, did win an award. It actually tied. Uh, for the most annoying fake accent. <laughs> <laughs> he also won for worst supporting actor. And then interestingly, just to show that there were some people who did appreciate what they were doing with the snake, John Nelson, who was involved in the the animation, uh, he won over at the World Animation Celebration for the best 3D character or creature animation. So even though it looks fake, for the time... It just goes to show I, like it, how uh, how sort of out there the work was um, to actually push the snake forward the way that they did. Like, they did great work. It does not hold up right now, and that's okay. No. Yeah. yeah. But in 1997, I probably bought it yeah. a lot more than I I'm do I'm sure now. I did. Yeah. How to do the box up. Well, Yosa's snake film certainly is a jumping cost from our previous two films. This one cost $45 million, or $72 million in today's dollars. The movie was released April 11th, 1997, opposite Gross Point Blank, Keys to Tulsa and Paradise Road. It opened at the number one spot, which it held for two weeks and stayed in the top 10 for seven weeks before slowing down. This movie went on to make $65.8 million domestically and $71.4 million internationally, earning a total of $219.6 million in today's dollars. That gives the film an adjusted profit per finish minute of $1.6 million, but because it cost so much, it only earned three times its budget, making it the least profitable one on the list so far. Oh, that kind of makes me sad. I expected this one to have done better. Well, hey, it still made a lot of money. So I think we're okay on the, <laughs> that regard. All right. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad we have it in the list. We now have snakes, fish, and octopus. And a shark. And the shark. And we are marching forward in our list of aquatic killers. Before we can reveal what aquatic killer, aquatic killer number five is, we have to take it to Flickchart. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see the list of movies that we've talked about on this show. Swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flickchart, and that'll take you straight to this movie in the flickchart catalog where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. First up, Anaconda or Il Postino, the postman. You know, I was thinking about the postman, the Kevin Costner <laughs> postman. You were like, what would Pablo Neruda have written if he had come across <laughs> the Anaconda? <laughs> Still, no Mateo. Um, I, I was thinking that in Italy was the postman released as the postman parentheses Il Postino. Uh, I'm going to go, uh, Anaconda. Oh, I'm going to go with the postman. Oh, wait, no, (laughs) no, I'm definitely going with the postman. I suddenly have even, I was in my head. It was the wrong postman. Sorry. That is very funny. That is very funny. Uh, interestingly, Kevin Costner's film was also called Il Postino. Right. I got very confused. <laughs> Anaconda or Christmas in July? Um, Christmas in July, I think. Totally Christmas in July. Anaconda or Bull Durham? Anaconda. I gotta go Bull Durham. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. One, One two, two, three. three. Rock. Rock. Paper. Mm, okay. Oh, Bull Durham takes All it. All right. Anaconda or the Little Drummer Girl? Anaconda. Anaconda, please. Nice. I'd like to see Diane Keaton take on <laughs> the Anaconda. Not on her best day. Anaconda or the best little whorehouse in Texas? Anaconda never sang. And he didn't, that is the still, equivalent, right, of, of uh, Bert? That's what Frank Welker was doing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was an Anaconda musical. If we could, if we only were parcel tongues, Pete. You should actually hear it underwater. Once it, it was designed up for underwater, right. uh, I'm going to go with Anaconda. I'm going to go with Anaconda as well. Anaconda or the French Lieutenant's Woman? Wow, I haven't seen that pop up. Wow. I will say the French Lieutenant's Woman. Uh, yeah, I think I will too. Anaconda or We're No Angels? We're oh. No Angels. What a delightful film. I will say We're No Angels as well. Anaconda or The Dead Zone. Mm. 
I will say the dead zone. I think the dead zone. Yeah. yeah. Although you have That's to say, I, go back I mean, and forth on, but yeah, I, this movie, I mean, just in, on pacing alone, dead zone is a lot slower. It is slower. It is slower. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Anaconda. I'm going to be, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to stick with the dead zone. Still. All right. All right. Or here One. we go. I, I will say, Martin Sheen, he and John Voight could almost go toe to toe as their over the top villains. One hundred percent. Yes. All right. Okay. Here we go. One. One. Two. two three. Scissors. 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 Paper. All right. Oh, there we go. Anaconda takes it. Anaconda or Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut. Uh, yeah, I'll take Christmas in Connecticut. Well, that puts Anaconda in spot 427 on our chart. 427 out of 473. That's pretty low. It lands at a 10% on our chart. Yeah, that's pretty low. I uh, it, it did better on mine. I mean, not a lot better, but it did better. Where did it land on yours? Did it crack 30%? It definitely did better on my chart. I mean, it's a film I have a ton of fun with. You know, it's it's not a great film, but it's an easy watch and just a blast. I just have yeah. so much fun. And I, you know, with his... Razzie nominations and all. I just have a blast watching John Voight in this. It landed in spot 1530 out of 4489 or a 66% for me. Wow, that's great. I I think I must have been suffering some flick chart uh, issues because it landed at 891 for me out of 1471, which is a 39%. If I'm to go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com slash the next reel, that should be a two star uh, for me. I think... I don't think it's a two-star movie. I think it's a. I think it's a solid three-star movie. I have a lot of fun, and there are still some things that are, you know, it is. It is the kind of movie that it is. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. It is the kind of movie that it is. Same thing for me. I'm three stars and a heart. Big I just, heart. Yeah. I, I have so much fun with this one, in all of its cheesy B movie glory. I think that they knew what it was, and I certainly know what it is, and I have fun time with it. So yeah. There it is. All right. Andy, four down. No, we're only, we're only halfway through. I know. We're only three down. Well, because I'm including Jaws. Oh, if you if you throw Jaws in, yes. It we're was done down. a while ago, but yeah. yes. So, what is our next aquatic killer? Well, we're going to move uh, into the uh, northeast of the United States, and we're going to be fighting a giant crocodile it is the film lake placid steve miner's film from 1999 written by david e kelly with bridget fonda bill pullman oliver platt it is uh yeah we're going to be seeing some uh some big mouths eating people in a lake lake placid in uh, in maine i believe is where it's set that's steve miner we, Steve Miner. We, we like him. He's been a guest on the show, and we talked about uh, with him uh, about one of his favorites on the Speakeasy. We talked about the Philadelphia story. <laughs> that guy, he contains he tone. contains multitudes. Am I right? Anyway, <laughs> certainly does. When the movie ends, <laughs> our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon always doeth. I can't believe it. I am on Amazon, and you are not? Where could you <laughs> possibly have gone? Of it. I jumped over to Letterboxd just to see what sort of reviews what? people had over there. Uh, okay. Uh, I feel like you should... I feel like you should go first, unless you really want to go second. Do you want to unveil second? Get me out of the way? What do you want? I'm totally fine going first. All right, go ahead. My review is a four-star by Dirk H., who says... Let's be honest. This movie sucks ass. Let's be honest. Us true cinephiles, we don't care. Let's be honest. John Voight produces the Mona Lisa of overindulgent, campy B-movie performances. Let's be honest. We were all rooting for the snake. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I'm going to say I'm in the same territory, at least for you over on Amazon. Mine comes from Amazon Customer. Uh, with a five-star review, and the title is John Voight's Accent Saves This Film. 
<laughs> it is a masterpiece of genre satire. Anaconda, posing as a blatantly bad 90s action flick, ripples with political commentary strewn through the movie. As a metaphor for everything from the Vietnam War to childhood obesity, this film shines. John Voight was snubbed from an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of a maybe South American, I don't know, Amazon snake hunter. His performance leaves nothing to be desired. Five stars. Also, Ice Cube does the music for the film in acapella. <laughs> well played, a customer. So good. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 